Section 45 of Tales from Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tales from Dickens by Haley Ermini Rivez. Section 45. Martin Chuzzlewit. Old Chuzzlewit's Plot Succeeds. Where was the guilty Jonas, meanwhile? shivering at every sound, listening for the news that Tig's body had been found in the wood, wondering if by any chance the crime might be laid on him. Already fate was weaving a net at his feet. The man from whom he had bought the poison to kill his father had fallen very ill, and his illness had repented of the part he had played. He had confessed to Westlock, whom, before he had fallen into wicked company, he had once known, Westlock sent for old Chuzzlewit, and he, too, was told the story of the purchased poison. Then together the three went to Jonas's house, and brought him face to face with his accuser. Confronted with their evidence, Jonas gave himself up for lost, but old Chuffy, whom he had so abused, escaped the watchful eye of Sari Gamp, and entered just in time to keep his promise to his dead master, and to clear Jonas, the son. He told them how it had really happened— how Jonas had intended to kill his father, but how the latter's death had been due not to the poison which he had never taken, but to the knowledge of his son's wickedness. Jonas, in the reaction from his fear, laughed aloud, and was abusively ordering them to leave, when the door opened and the color suddenly left his cheeks. Policemen stood there, and at their head was Nadget, the spy. In another moment there were handcuffs on his wrists, and he knew not only that the murder of Tig had been discovered, but that every action of his own on that fatal night had been traced, and that he was surely doomed to die on the gallows. When he realized that he was lost, he fell to the floor in pitiable fear. They put him in a wagon to take him to jail, but when they arrived there they found him motionless in his seat. He had swallowed some of his own poison which he had carried in his pocket, and was as dead as any hangman could have made him. Old Chuzzlewit had yet another purpose to carry out before he left London, and for this purpose he asked Westlock to meet him in his rooms at a certain time next day. He sent for Tom Pinch and his sister Ruth and his grandson Martin and Mark Tapley, and last, but not least, for Pecksniff himself, all to meet him there at the same hour. All save Pecksniff arrived together, and greatly astonished most of them were, you may be sure, to see old Chuzzlewit so changed. For now the dull, bent look had vanished, his eyes were bright, his form erect, and every feature eager and full of purpose. Even Mary Graham scarcely knew what to make of it. As they sat wondering and waiting for old Chuzzlewit to speak, Pecksniff came hurriedly in, to start back, as if at a shock of electricity. But he recovered himself and clasped his hands with a look of pious joy to see the old man safe and well. Then he looked around him and shook his head. "'O oh, vermin, O oh, bloodsuckers,' he said, "'horde of unnatural plunderers and robbers, "'be gone, leave him, and do not stay in a spot "'hallowed by the gray hairs of this patriarchal gentleman.' "'He advanced with outstretched arms, "'but he had not seen how tightly old Chuzzlewit's hand "'clasped the walking-stick he held. "'The latter, in one great burst of indignation, rose up, "'and with a single blow stretched him on the ground. "'Mark Tapley dragged him into a corner "'and propped him against the wall,' and, in this ridiculous position, cringing, and with his assurance all gone, Pecksniff listened, as did they all, to the old man's story. 
he told the assembled family how the curse of selfishness had seemed to him always to rest upon his family how he had misunderstood martin his best-loved grandson and how he had seen pecksniff doing his best to add to this bad feeling he beckoned martin to him and put mary's hand in his and he told how he had tested them both and had at last resolved to see to what a length the hypocrisy of pecksniff would lead him how to this end he had pretended feebleness of mind and had planned and plotted finally to expose pecksniff and set all right when he had finished the door was opened and pecksniff looking all shrunken and frowsy and yellow passed out never to enter again into the lives of any of them there was a great and joyful gathering that night when all these so strangely united took dinner together martin sat beside mary while westlock walked home with ruth and before they reached there she had promised to be his wife martin and mary were married soon and old chuzzlewit made martin his heir he also gave a home to poor mercy the wife of the dead jonas tom pinched lived a long and happy life in the home which westlock made for ruth where he had a fine organ on which he played every day mark tapley of course married the rosy landlady of the blue dragon and settled down at the inn which he renamed the jolly tapley charity pecksniff succeeded in ensnaring her young man at last the day they were to be married however he did not come to the church but ran off to van diemen's land and she lived and died a vinegary shrewish old maid as for pecksniff himself having lost all his money in the anglo bengalee company which of course went to pieces on tigg's death he sank lower and lower till at last a drunken squalid old man he eked out a miserable existence writing whining begging letters to the very people whom he had once labored so hard to make unhappy end of section forty five